0: Good morning everyone. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be continuing on where we left off a few weeks ago. Our passage is Luke 16 and it's verses 19 to 31. It's on page 876 if you're using the church's Bible. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Before we begin, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His most holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please send forth Your word this morning through the work and power of Your Holy Spirit. May He bring great conviction and great comfort. Let him convince us of sin as well as of righteousness. May he do that which you sent him to do, and that is to point us to Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the strong tower, and all those who run to him are shielded and safe. I pray all this in Christ's holy name. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is, The Results of Man-Made Religion. The Results of of man-made religion. In the previous passage, the one Pastor Dan preached three weeks ago, Jesus is seen calling out the Pharisees' man-made religion. And now in our passage today, he is going to show them the results of their man-made religion. It is a horrifying reality. Though they think they're on their way to heaven, they're actually on the path straight to hell. Using a parable, Jesus holds up a mirror and shows these guys, hey, this is you guys. And once again, grace is being extended to them through the use of a warning. He wants them to turn from their man-made religion and to turn to him by faith. And just so I'm clear, what I mean by man-made religion is any replacement of, addition to, subtraction from, or distortion of the pure religion found in the scriptures, in our Bibles. Because the Bible points us to Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sin. For the Pharisees, their man-made religion included the love of money, their self-justification, and a muddling of God's law. And for the people in our day, it can be as blatant as the worship of Buddha, or as subtle as Jesus mixed with the lucky charm. It can be trying to keep all of God's law in order to go to heaven, or it can be looking to deceased ancestors to help guide the way. Man-made religion is anything that a person relies on for their salvation, besides what the scriptures say to rely on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Without a trust in him and his work, You are left with nothing but man-made religion, and its results are deadly. We begin our reading with verses 19 to 21. It reads as such. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover... Even the dogs came and licked his sores. At first, the results of man made religion can be very deceiving. In this world, it seems to pay handsomely. If it didn't, there wouldn't be so many people following it. But at some point, the emptiness of it all will be revealed. The rich man in our parable is a follower of man made religion, his God is his money and possessions which he exalts over the true and living God. His life is one of luxury, a huge house, the best clothes and the greatest feasts. He is in that gated community, wearing the Armani suit of his day, all while munching on caviar and sipping on champagne. If he's not royalty, he's definitely in the upper echelons of society because his purple apparel signifies that he has made it and he is wearing it very proudly. And he dabbles in a little bit of true religion, too. From verse 23 on, he recognizes and speaks with Abraham, the father of Israel. He actually claims Abraham as his own father. He has just the right amount of true religion to deceive himself that he is right with God. He can talk some religious talk, but his heart is far from the Lord. And you'll notice in verse 19, that there isn't any mention of God whatsoever. The rich man is too busy with his man-made religion to fully consider the religion that comes from God. And things are going pretty well with his religious concoction. His own belief system in goods and gods, sprinkled with a little bit of true religion, has served him well. But all of it is very deceiving. And although Jesus doesn't spell it out for them explicitly. This rich man points to the Pharisees, to the very ones listening to his story. They have created their own man-made religion, and it has served them well. Fine clothes and sumptuous feasts are their standard of living. They claim Abraham as their father, but they are far from being Abraham's children. They aren't doing the works Abraham did. And they are far from knowing God. The poor man's life is the complete opposite of the rich man. In the eyes of the world, he is less than nothing. And so, the, rich, the poor man is left to die. Instead of purple and fine linen, he's covered with sores. Instead of feasting, he is starving. Instead of the company of others, he is completely alone. He's a cripple who's been laid outside the rich man's gate. He's so close to luxury, yet he's extremely famished. All he wants is leftovers, and not even that. He just wants the fallen scraps from the table. Basically, he's willing to eat this rich man's trash. Unable to move, wild dogs hound him like vultures. It's payday, and each gets a share of blood from Lazarus' open wounds. It's like a bunch of pups getting milk from mom. But instead of milk, these strays are seeking and feeding off of sores. When I was growing up, um, our family dog actually had sores on her own body and she would lick them. It was really sad because uh, it was by instinct that she continuously lapped those sores with her tongue. And she couldn't help it because it became habitual. And I imagine that what was happening to this poor man was similar. Day and night, these dogs are surrounding him and instinctively getting their fill of blood. And for those listening to Jesus' parable, this poor man is practically dead. In the Jews' mind, those that are dependent on food from another man's table or those whose bodies are full of sores are living a life that's a living death. The poor man experiences not just one, but both of these experiences. And although Jesus highlights the extreme poverty of this man, there's one thing the poor man has which the rich man does not have. The poor man has his name. It is Lazarus a shortened version of the name Eleazar, and it means God helps. Each day while on the streets, eating trash and dying of starvation, he has his name, the one word to remind him that God helps. I am the one who God helps. I'm a poor beggar, starving and diseased, but I know that God helps The merciful one would help him through the suffering, the hunger, the pain, the shame, the rejection, the loneliness, and the humiliation. Though his outer self was wasting away, his inner self is being renewed day by day because God helps. His light momentary affliction is preparing for him an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension and all comparison. he is looking to the one that is unseen. Lazarus is going to be with his God soon, the one who helped him through his life, and the one who will help him into eternity. His name is Lazarus, and while counted as dead to the world, his name has been written in the book of life all along. Lazarus is the epitome of all those the Pharisees have shunned, they have no allowance for them in their man-made religion. These are the blind, the lame, the cripples, the prostitutes, the diseased, the poor, the lepers, the blind, and the deaf. They are the sinners, the sinners, and they are the, have a spokesman, and this spokesman is this poor, starveling, cripple of a man, Lazarus. Because that is what a sinner is. It just takes our eyes to be open to it. Sinners are poor. We are starving spiritually. We are crippled and we are dead people walking. That is until God helps. A sinner saved by the grace of God has nothing at all except a God who helps, and that is enough. Believers hold on to nothing that this world offers, but they grasp onto what matters the most, our saving God. The Pharisees are in the pool of sin along with all those that they're shunning, except God is not their help, and they are completely blind to it. Although they are rich, they are spiritually starving. While they are fed, their souls are bankrupt they are dead men walking, but holding on to their man-made religion, and the result of man-made religion is eternal death. We continue with verses 22 to 23. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. Death does not play any favorites, and after death, each person is ushered into the afterlife. The body dies and waits to be resurrected, but the spirit of a person lives on the moment they pass away. With the blink of an eye, we are in eternity, and we are going to be in either one of two places, heaven or hell. Those are our only two options. There is no annihilation. There's no going out of existence. There's no permanent blackness afterwards. There's no purgatory. There's no place to make it up to God. These ideas are simply man-made, and they are the antithesis to God's help. There is a finality to the afterlife. A man dies one time. There is no reincarnation. One death, and then an existence in eternity. And in the afterlife, there is instant consciousness of where you are and what is happening. Your senses are in full force, and the afterlife is your new reality forever and ever. Those that are good and righteous will be with God, infinitely in awe of his holy splendor, and those that are evil and wicked will be without him an eternal torment. But we must ask, who are the good and the righteous? They are like Lazarus, the ones that come to realize they're poor and starving for spiritual life, and look to him to raise them from their spiritual death. God says, "Give me the prodigal son. Give me the one with childlike faith. Give me the one that beats their breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The righteous are those who God helps through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. It is by his blood alone that Christians are cleansed of sin and are righteous before God. We have nothing, nothing at all, but the one who helps us with our spiritual poverty and starvation, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And those that repent of sin and turn by faith to Jesus Christ will receive the forgiveness of sin that they need and they will be made right with their holy God. Then and only then will they be ushered into heaven and be with God for all of eternity. And the wicked, they are those who reject God's help, which is found in his Son. They are the ones holding on to their man made religion. If that is you, then I plead with you today. Please repent of your sin and turn to Jesus, because if you don't, the results will be disastrous. The death of these two men reveals their fate. The rich man, trusting in his man made religion, is with the wicked in hell. Lazarus, believing in God that helps, is with the righteous in heaven. And there are three ways that the Jews express the happiness of the righteous person. The first is they go to the Garden of Eden. Second, they go to be under the throne of glory. And third, they go to the bosom or side of Abraham. Jesus used the latter to describe Lazarus' newfound happiness. No more poverty. No more being on the outside looking in, no more loneliness, no more sores, no more being hounded. Lazarus had nothing but God in his former life and now has God along with everything else in the afterlife. The rich man's fate is completely reversed. His man made religion provided him worldly riches and now. He has nothing but extreme pain and torment in hell. And the first thing he sees and experiences in hell is his separation from Abraham's side. His heart sinks. That is where he is supposed to be. He is supposed to be happy, and he's supposed to be with the righteous. He's a Jew, he was blessed with wealth, he was of nobility. He wasn't a prostitute or a sinner. He didn't associate with them. And he had lived perfectly according to his man-made religion. He's thinking that he is supposed to be by Abraham's side. And second, he sees Lazarus. And God's help, God's help is now far off. The help God offers in this life through the death and resurrection of his son will not be available in hell. For all of eternity, it will be desired, but it will not be found. It will be hopeless. Those in hell will be helpless. God offers his grace to us until our dying day, but then no more. In hell, God's help will be very far off. It will be non-existent. Our man-made religion will have done us no good And it will result in eternity without any help at all. Continuing in verses 24 to 26, it says this. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things and now he's comforted here and you are in an anguish and besides all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us without Christ as their advocate those in hell will condemn themselves with their own lips the rich man calls out, Father Abraham, he knows who Abraham is. He has some head knowledge of true religion, but he is far from being a child of Abraham. We must ask, why is that? Well, we must ask also then, who is Abraham? Yes, Abraham is the father of Israel as a nation, but more importantly, he is the father of faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He trusted God to justify the ungodly, adulterous, idolatrous, lying man he was. Abraham was poor, diseased, and crippled by his sin. Yet by his word, God made himself and his plan known to Abraham, and Abraham placed his hope in God and what he said. And when he believed God, It was counted to him as righteousness. Lazarus, in his own poverty, followed his forefather's steps. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And now another son of faith is with the father of faith. So, condemnation number one the rich man is claiming to be following Abraham, when in reality, he never trusted God like his forefather, Abraham. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And condemnation number two comes by these words. Have mercy on me, send Lazarus. With just one word, one word, the rich man reveals a heart full of wickedness. The word is a name. It is Lazarus. The rich man knew the poor man waiting outside for his trash all along. He knew him well enough to know his name. He saw him, and he talked with him, and he knew why Lazarus was outside the gate. Yet, he was merciless. Lazarus should have been treated like a brother, But the rich man, in all his abundance, gives him his trash. John, in his first epistle, asks point blank, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And the answer is, it doesn't. The neglect of Lazarus exposes the rich man's heart. God's love is absent, which means God himself is absent. The rich man had everything but the one thing that is most important. And without God and his love, the heart is evil and capable of producing every kind of evil For the rich man, it was a case of neglect. He let poor Lazarus starve. He knew he was there and he did nothing at all. God, Abraham, and Lazarus, they don't even have to bring condemnation down upon this man. He brought it down by his very own lips. And without God's righteousness in Christ alone, there is nothing but torment and hell awaiting us. The rich man's condemning tongue is on fire. It's on fire. When we touch a flame, we immediately pull back. But this man can't do that. There's no way to alleviate the flames. His tongue will be on fire forever and ever and ever. He'll do anything to be relieved of the pain. Even a little drop of water will suffice. That's all he wants. And he's willing to receive it from the very man he neglected it, uh, that he did, neglected for so long. The man he couldn't even give a little morsel of food to. He finally feels his own great need for mercy. But it is way too late. God's help is far off. And Abraham says to him, child, remember. Remember. Remember how you took and took and took. Remember how Lazarus suffered in silence. Remember how you let this brother of yours starve. Remember your shell of a religion. Remember you knew his name. Remember how you were reminded of it day after day. Remember how you knew God helps. Remember how you rejected that help. Remember how your godless heart denied helping him. Your man-made religion was worthless, and now it is crushed. One of the realities of hell is the psychological torment people will experience as they remember. They will remember all the mercy and love the Lord showed them throughout life. They will remember how he provided for them. They will remember how he revealed himself through his creation. They will remember those times they heard the word of God preached or read. They will remember how he offered Christ to them on numerous occasions. And they will remember... How they rejected all that God had done and said to them throughout their lives. There will be regret after regret after regret. There will be shame and there will be great sorrow. How could I have rebelled against such a holy, good, righteous, and loving God? How could I have rejected such a precious sacrifice, his beloved Son, for my sin? How could I have turned away from the grace that was extended to me to keep me from eternal damnation? Thoughts like these are going to hound unbelievers forever and ever. The other excruciating experience in hell will be its permanence. The chasm will be set, and it will be set by the strongest being in the entire universe. No strength is greater than the Lord's, And so it will be impossible to go from hell to heaven. There's no escape. Within the first second a person is there, they will want out. And they will want out for the rest of eternity. Christ is our advocate, and righteousness is the only way to be protected from all of this. And finally, Jesus closes his parable with these words, verse 27. And he said, "'Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment.' But Abraham said, "'They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them.' And he said, "'No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent.' He said to them, "'If they do not hear Moses and the prophets,' Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. True religion has a single source; it is the Bible. Everything added to it or subtracted to it is man-made, and all all its replacements and distortions are but lies. It is through this word, this word, that we come to know the One who saves, Jesus Christ. No great human wisdom words, salesmanship, ingenuity, marketing schemes, manipulation or reasoning will ever bring a dead sinner's soul to life. It is the word of God along with the Holy Spirit that will open a person's eyes to the true and living Christ. The rich man says to Abraham, give these brothers of mine Lazarus. If they have a visit from a dead man, they will be sure to shape up So you know what that means? It means these brothers knew Lazarus before he died too. Think about it. They wouldn't be able to recognize Lazarus if they didn't know him. The rich man wants Lazarus to go because they knew Lazarus. The brothers are exactly like the rich man. They are culprits and they are heading down the same exact road. And although this rich man has some compassion for his brothers, he still doesn't get it. He's still relying on his man-made religion. If this man speaks with him, his words will change my brothers. These guys just need a sign. Someone coming back from the dead will open their eyes to their spiritual poverty. They're going to know hell is real and they surely will repent of sin, Abraham But you see, the rich man wants them to encounter a man, not the living God. He wants to give them something that comes from the world, or in this case, something six feet under the earth. But Abraham says that they need what comes from heaven. They don't need something from the dead. They need the spiritual life that comes from the word of God. The rich man's man-made scheme is worthless. His brothers need the Bible. And in Jesus' day, that is the words of Moses and the prophets. They need to hear the very words of God for there to be any hope of them being saved. Romans 10, 16 to 17 says this. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Abraham is pointing to the true means of faith. It is the means that he relied on. He trusted God's word, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And now these brothers would have to do the very same thing. And this can be known only by the single source of true religion, the word of God. Last, there is also the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, Jesus' death and resurrection is the true sign that we need. Not some person coming back from the dead. Jesus and his work of salvation are the central point of the scriptures. Moses and the prophets speak of him. They tell of a coming Messiah who would suffer for the sins of his people. They reveal that he would be slaughtered and placed in a grave. They speak of his soul not being abandoned to Hades. They say... He would never see corruption. Instead, they prophesy he would take his seat at the right hand of the Father. Jesus did rise from the grave and fulfilled what was spoken of him by Moses and the prophets. If you believe what God's word says, then you will believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, then you will believe in what God's word says. They are intimately connected with each other. Because Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Sadly, many of the Pharisees did see Jesus die. And then they witnessed the empty tomb. They had the word of God and their sign from heaven. But carried on with their man-made religion anyways. And the results of anyone's man-made religion is always hell. Going on into eternity without God's help. Before closing, I want to make a few applications. The first is for the unbeliever. If you're following your man-made religion, please repent and turn to Christ. I plead with you. The source of true religion says this in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. He didn't tell his story about Hell because he wanted the Pharisees to go there. He told his story to warn them. He used this story to paint them a picture, and we know a picture never fully captures the real thing. The fires in hell are going to be more tormenting and painful than the fires on Earth. You will go mad from all the anguish, all the isolation, all your regret. Jesus wants to save you from hell. But that means you must be saved by his blood. Everything else is insufficient. Please give up that man-made religion and turn to that which is true. The second and third are for you, Christian. I'll begin with this. We Christians should continuously remind ourselves of what Christ saved us from. We were on the edge of spending an eternity in torment. And each of us was completely culpable. But the love of Christ compelled him to die on the cross for you and for me. This should drive our hearts to give him heartfelt praise each and every single day. And our daily prayer should be to have Christ drive out all the remnants of our man made religion that's in us. Reflect on how the infinitude of your wickedness is deserving of hell, and you can be sure your conviction of sin will grow and that is going to lead you to Christ daily for he is the only one that can do anything about our sin and soon that day will come when you'll be at Lazarus' side as well as Abraham's and God's finally brothers and sisters we must we must give people true religion found only in the word of god The Bible has exactly what people need to hear. They need this instead of their man-made religion. And we must give them the full counsel of Scripture. It isn't enough to tell people Jesus loves you. They need to know why Jesus loves them. They need to know how Jesus loves them. They need to know the truth about their sin. They need to know that they are warring and raging against God. They need to know that his wrath is on them. And yes, they need to know that hell awaits all those that spurn the gift of Christ crucified for their sin. True religion is found in the word of God because the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. Give them true religion which results in eternal life and pray that they are set free from their damning man-made religion. Brothers and sisters, let's not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Lord, hearing your word this morning was like getting surgery. It was painful, but it was for our good. You don't desire for people to go to hell. You have provided your son to usurp our man-made religions. And we thank you that for that, Lord. Please open our eyes today. If we are holding onto anything other than Christ's death and resurrection, please show us that. You will not compete with anyone or anything else, and your way is the only way. Please save us from our sin and the results of that sin. I pray this all by the name of the one that saves, Jesus Christ. Amen.